So if you've been to church for any amount of time, there is a good chance you're trying to find something spiritual in that video. And you're trying to say, what is the significance? What is it that they are trying to tell me? Stop. Because there's not much. There's not much there. So we, we are in uh, two weeks, second week of this series called Weird. And we've just been trying to have a lot of fun with this and talking about weird things, playing weird videos and just, you know, having some fun and, and shooting weird videos and all this good stuff. But anyway... This whole series, the whole premise for this series is that normal isn't working. And we see all around us, uh, and it's very normal to see pain and suffering, right? It's kind of something that we get used to. We see in the news all the time. We read in the papers that there's just pain and suffering. We see that people aren't happy or fulfilled. And maybe this describes you this morning. You're just stressed and frustrated and you're worried and you're continually searching for something yet never finding it. We see that marriages have issues, people are having all kinds of problems with their kids, we can't shake addictions, and we need drugs of all kinds just to make it through the day. This is normal in our society today. And if we want what normal people have, then all we've got to do is just continually do what normal people do. But if we want what few people have, right? if we want what we see in just a few lives who, don't, who aren't defined by these things, then we need to do what few people do. See, we started this series because normal isn't working. And we called it weird because when we want what few people have, when we want to live the way few people do and to not go with the flow and to not go with the norm, then it's going to require us to do some weird things. And as always, we get our cues for the way we live from the life of Jesus. And he even calls us to take a different path than what most people will take. He says in Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. He says, easy is the way. It's going to be very easy for you to just kind of go with the flow, to enter into this way. A lot of people are going to be going this way. It's going to be easy for you to blend in and to not be seen and to not be different. And you can go this way, and it'll probably be a little easier for a short amount of time, but this is the way that leads to destruction. He says, small is the gate. And narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's against the grain. It's not with the flow. It's different. It's weird. And so today what I want us to do is to kind of explore why it is that we kind of have this gravitational pull towards the normal. Why it is we feel this tug and this pull towards normal instead of the weird. And so as we do that, I'd love for you to be able to follow along with me as we kind of look throughout Scripture and see this theme. So there's going to be some Bibles coming down. Um, if you don't have one, you can get one of those. I'd love for you to be able to follow along with me. You can just raise your hand or signal one of the ushers. will get one to you in just a second. Um, we all know people who are kind of yes men, right? People who like do anything to make people like them or say anything. I remember uh, when Cynthia and I were in college, we had this friend named... Jeff and I loved Jeff, just a nice guy. Everybody liked Jeff, right? And he made sure of it. Everybody liked him. And so it would get to the point where it just wouldn't even make sense. So he would contradict himself immediately just to make you like him, right? Like, for example, what's your, what's your favorite color? Blue? That's my favorite color, too. I mean, I love, love blue. I love it. I love it. What's your favorite color? Green? I love green. It's the best. Like, there's no other color better than green, right? Like, it's my favorite. That's exactly what he would do, right? And he's like, so where do you stand on this issue? You are completely correct. I agree. Where were you? Opposite? I agree. 
And it just wouldn't make sense. And so we went on this trip with Jeff to, to Mexico with a bunch of people. And so I, I, about halfway through the trip, I just kind of got frustrated with it. So I just started making stuff up that I thought was cool or whatever and just making him agree with me and like immediately turn it around. And it was kind of mean, but it really just proved the point. I didn't say I was a good pastor. It just proved the point that we all have kind of this desire to conform to the norm. Right, that we have, that it's there. And, and even when we know everyone else is headed in the wrong direction, there's this natural tendency to go with the flow and to follow with everyone else. And we're relational creatures by nature. And even when we have reasoning power and we see what people are doing, we are watching others and we're drawn to follow them and to say what they say and to do what they do. There is constant pressure for us to conform to the norm. And there's this we see with normal people, when they surround us, they create kind of this gravitational pull. They, they, they pull us and push us. And whatever it is, towards fashion or the way we dress or towards the car we drive or the music we listen to or the way we decorate our house, whatever it is, we always feel this kind of pull just because other people are doing it, right? Just to go with the flow. And so, like, you think about things you wear. Like, if you wear something that's outdated, it feels like the herd has moved on and you're left standing in the field alone wearing your bell-bottoms or parachute pants, right? And you feel just wrong. Now, I'm not saying the herd mentality is entirely bad. Like, sometimes it can keep us safe. Like, for example, if you're at the beach and everyone is running out of the water, follow the crowd, right? It's just smart. It makes sense. But when it's 2007 and everyone is buying houses with no money down, don't do that, right? It's bad. Don't follow the crowd. So the herd mentality um, can be good for us, but sometimes it's a hindrance. And even Jesus now, his warning to us is that the herd is headed in the wrong direction spiritually. And again, it's fine when, like, you're an antelope. Like, run away from the thing trying to kill you. But it's bad when you're a lemming, right? Like, when you migrate and basically, every, like, all these lemmings commit mass suicide as they're migrating. It's not good. Don't go with the crowd. It all depends on who you're with, where they're going, and why they are going that direction. You see, Jesus can see where the normal are headed, and he's called on us to be weird. So the question I have is, where does this constant pressure, where does this idea for us to conform to the norm originate? Like, where does it start? Why do we have this? And I've seen that there's really kind of two different ways we can feel this pressure. We feel this gravitational pull. One is an inward pressure, right, to please others. That we feel like we want to make people happy. We want people to like us, and we have that feeling, that need inside of us. And the other is the outward pressure to avoid criticism, right, because we don't want to be criticized. We want people to say bad things about us. So I want us to kind of dive into those just for a minute and to think about you know, because part of my constant pressure to want to conform to the norm comes from my need to please, right? I want people to like me, and all of us like to be praised. All of us, for the most part, want people to like us. It feels good to have someone tell you that you've done a good job or, or that you're liked or that you're all right and that you're okay. It feels good to have that, whether it's in the car we drive or the work we do or the, what we wear or whatever it is. It's safe to say that most of us enjoy it when people like us, when we have some desire to please those around us. We want people to like us. Like, I remember when uh, I grew up in Florida and, uh, and then moved after seventh, in between seventh and eighth grade, moved to small town North Carolina. So it's kind of like in the city in Florida and then North Carolina, okay? Like small. And so I was very concerned about the way I dressed in Florida because everyone else was. And so like I wore what everyone else was wearing. I earned this title of the milkman. It was bad. Anyway, so I wore like white shirt White Jinko shorts. Anybody remember Jinkos? Like the huge, yeah, like the ones that went down to like here. So I wore those. And then white socks rolled all the way up to like my knees. No skin. You couldn't see anything. Okay. And then black Airwalks. Remember Airwalks? Good stuff. So I was like, 
looking good, right? So we move to North Carolina. It's a small town. And my, my first day, eighth grade, and I am like dressed to the max, like looking good, all white looking. And I roll in, and nobody else is dressed like that, right? It's like Wranglers and belt buckles and plaid, and it's not, you know, so like rolling my socks down, <laughs> grabbed a gym shirt so I could have a different color. And like I wanted people to like me, right? And it, it expressed itself in the way I dressed. And most of us are like that. And sometimes it's short term, right? Like we dress a certain way or we talk a certain way, we do our hair a certain way, we listen to a certain kind of music or we drive a certain car because, you know, we want to be liked, we, you know, it makes people look favorably upon us. And sometimes it's short. But sometimes, some of us spend a good chunk of our lives trying to please others. Like we invest in things like maybe a relationship that we feel like we're supposed to be in because it would make others happy. So we invest years in that. Or we followed a, a career path because you felt like you were supposed to because it would make a certain somebody happy, but it wasn't your dream for your life. Or you went to a certain school because you kind of felt this pressure and you wanted to make your parents happy or whatever it was, but it wasn't your dream. It wasn't your plan. It wasn't what you felt. You just wanted to make them happy. And when you realize when you do that, you get to the end of your life and you realize you've lived someone else's plan. You've fulfilled someone else's dream and not your own. And so most of us want people to like us. We want to please people. We want to make people happy. And we want someone to tell us that we're okay, that you're doing a good job, what you're doing is right. But here's the problem. As long as we seek the approval of other people, we will forever be the slave of other people. As long as my goal in life is to make you happy, I am forever at your will, right? However you feel about me, however good or bad day you're having depends on how I feel about myself, right? If I seek the approval of people, I will forever be the slave of people. And so when we look at Jesus's life, his example, we see that he resisted the need to please people, right? We, we see that when we look at his life, we see that he, dis, he lived a life that helps us discover what like a kingdom life looks like lived out as a human being. But he also felt this kind of gravitational pull, right, to please others and, and to uh, make people happy. He felt it. It was there. So when we look at his life as an example for us, how to relate to others, we see that many people would come to Jesus and tell him how wonderful he was, how great his was, how good the things he was doing, that they believed in him, that they loved him, that they were going to support him. Even John 2, we see where it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. You see, Jesus was never sucked into trusting in people and thus being used by them. He knew the heart of people. He knew what was going on on the inside. He didn't need the approval of other people to validate himself. You see, for Jesus, there was someone else who validated him, someone else who he got his approval from, someone else who said he was doing right, someone else who knew his heart. Jesus received his approval from his Father in heaven, and he's encouraging us to do the same. Because when I become obsessed with what people think of me, when that's all I think about, that's all I focus about, that is the quickest way for me to forget what God thinks about me. If that's my main focus, if all I care about is how you feel about me or how you look at me, I've completely forgotten about what God feels towards me, about what he says about me. And so we see in other places where Jesus teaches us to pray, but pray in silence. Or pray, you know, so that no one sees it. Or he teaches us to fast, but live like nobody knows you're fasting. Why would he do that? 
It's because so that we can truly discover our real motivation, our real reasoning behind what we're doing, and how we can allow our Father in heaven to approve us, to get our blessings and rewards from him and not from anyone else. So we have this inward desire to make people happy, to, to please people. But if we do stop that, right, if we stop seeking the approval of people and kind of start doing our own thing, going against the grain, then we start to feel kind of the other end of this conforming to the norm equation, and that's my need to avoid criticism, right, to not want people to think badly of me, to talk badly about me. And Jesus, he got a lot of approval and praise from people, right? People said good things about him. But when he did things and said things that were weird, that were not right, that didn't fit into everyone else's standard for the way he was supposed to live and the things he was supposed to do, he was criticized. In Luke 7, he said, to what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and you said he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all of her children. See, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin and one of the last of the like, Old Testament-type prophets. And prophets were just crazy guys who did weird things to get people's attention. Right, to get God's message across them, God would say, I need you to do this. And they'd be like, all right. And it would be really weird. They would do some crazy things. Even John, he was a Nazarite, which means he never drank alcohol. He lived out in the desert, and he ate locusts and honey. That's what he ate. I'm not sure that's good. I don't think it's healthy. I ate a whole thing of honey one time. It was not good for me. I don't think you can live off of that. He even had a belt made of camel hair. This is a weird-looking guy. And above that, he went on to say, hey, the kingdom of God is coming. You need to repent, you sinners, and be baptized. Like when people do that today, it's weird, right? They're just like, that person is different. Something is wrong. And even then, it was weird. And we see Jesus, who wasn't really like that, but he was weird in a completely different way, right? He had no problems drinking wine or eating good food and going to tax collectors' parties where prostitutes were there. And to the Jewish leaders, this was extremely weird behavior for a rabbi to do. So what did they do? They started publicly criticizing John and Jesus. They said John was so extreme in the way he lived and in his message, he had to have had a demon. And Jesus was so extreme in his grace and mercy, he has to be a drunk and a glutton to hang out with those sinners and go to those parties. Yet look how Jesus handles that criticism. right? He could have handled it the way like I probably would have, or most of us probably would have. He didn't, you know, I probably would have said, oh, I didn't realize that was out there. Like, I didn't realize people felt that way about me. You know, like, maybe I should stop hanging out with those sinners. I am trying to start a religion after all and get people to follow me, so maybe I should ease back a little bit so I didn't, so people can like me. No, he didn't say that. He looks at all those people with their criticism and sees them as little children who are just trying to control people. It's like children, he said, who play the, the flute or the pipe, which was wedding-type music. And so they expected as soon as they played, people just to start dancing. Or when they played the dirge, which then was like funeral-type music, as soon as they played it, they just expected people to start crying. They wanted to control people. They didn't care about the truth, only their ability to force these weird people back into the norm. But Jesus says, wisdom is proved right by her children. Basically saying that wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. See, Jesus and John were both weird, but in different ways. But the fruit of their ministry was changed lives. It was people experiencing God in new 
in powerful ways. And when you step out and become weird, you can expect to feel kind of that criticism. You can expect to feel the pressure of people wanting to conform you back to the normal. Jesus even experienced this and warned us about it. John 15, it says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So for you, it may be where your friends say things like, you know, oh, you're going to church now? Like, what is that about? Like, you're just churchy Christian guy. Like, what is that all about? You know, like, you used to be cool with when we went and did this and partied it up, and now you're not okay with it? Are you like, are you better than us, Mr. Holier than now? Like, because you don't want to do this with us anymore? Or maybe for some people kind of have a, a spiritual background, you're like, oh, you're going to church wearing that? Like, that's not church. It smells like beer in there. You can't go there, right? Like, you, they just knock down what you're doing. Or maybe when they say things like, why are you helping them? They're never going to get better. They've been struggling for years. You're wasting your time. See, Jesus knows what it's like to be weird. He knows the criticism. He, he's felt it. And, and for us, the criticism that we're probably going to receive is going to be mostly verbal. Because of where we live, we have the, we, it's mostly verbal what we get. But Jesus experienced not only verbal, but also physical. And that's why he was on the cross, because he received that criticism physically. So that's why he's constantly preparing us to be ready for the criticism that we're going to receive when we step out of the norm. And part of this hatred comes from most people don't like to be reminded of the truth when they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, right? Like when you live in the darkness, it's never a good thing to have the light switch turned on, right? They, they don't enjoy that. So that's why there's this, always this pressure to conform because people are trying to pull you in so that they feel better about themselves. That's why the guy who goes to the party is just made fun of and berated by his friends until he's hammered too, right? That's why the husband who puts his wife and his kids first is said to be whipped. That's why your friends make fun of you for not sleeping with him or her before you get married. Or it's why your friends just tell you to charge it instead of actually spending money wisely and saving and living the biblical principles when it comes to your finances. There's this gravitational pull and it is powerful. And it's trying to push us back into the wide gate, to the normal. We have this relational pressure that, that just pulls on us and pulls on us and it tugs whenever we have people around us. So if you think about gravity, though, like it's kind of an interesting thing, right? Like it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Like if you don't know all about it, I didn't know a lot about it, but you think about this. Like the moon's gravity is pulling on us right now. Like that is happening. So if that's the case, how come we aren't floating to the moon? Anybody? Because... Earth is also has gravitational pressure, right? So it, they're working against each other. I didn't know this. I just had to look it up, so don't worry. Um, so the Earth's gravitational pull is stronger, so it negates the moons, right? So, so that's why, you know, we're not going up. But also what we know about gravity is that everything that has mass has gravity. So if that's the case, how come we aren't being pulled towards each other, like our physical bodies being pulled towards each other? Same principle. Because the Earth's gravitational pull negates that gravitational pull. It's so much stronger. It's so much more powerful. So, sticking with the same, same theme, stay with me. If you want to escape the gravitational pull of the relational pressures to, to please others or to avoid criticism, what do you need to have? You got to have a stronger force. You got to have an earth. You got to have something that negates all the other forces, right? Something bigger, something more 
powerful. You need someone in your life that is so big that the force between you and them is so much stronger than anything else that it completely negates all other forces in your life. Right? The, the desire to please others or to avoid criticism pales in comparison to the force you have between that thing. What we need is a big God. What we need is a God who, who loves us, who cares for us, and who our relationship with them negates any other relationship, the, the pressure that we have to make them happy or to please them or to avoid criticism. You see, weird people are able to live life aware of people around them, aware of their approval or disapproval of how they feel, but yet not controlled by them. They can live a weird life because their desire to please God is so much greater than their desire to please anyone else. You see, weird says, I can't please everyone, which we all know that, we've all tried, but I can please God. I mean, how mind-boggling is that? That we can actually please the creator of the universe. And this is the life God has called us to live. It's a weird life. It's different. It doesn't make a lot of sense to most people, but it is a good life. And you know it when you see it. And when you hear messages and you see examples of it, you know that it's not out of manipulation or out of a desire to control people, but out of the power that comes from the force of God's love. And as Paul planted churches in the first century, and as the word of Christ spread throughout, people were fueled by their approval of God. They were, lived, they were living out of that approval. And we see in 1 Thessalonians, where Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica, he says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. You see, Paul and his partners were not controlled by what other people thought of them because they were more concerned about what God thought of them. I mean, think about your life. Does that, does that define you today? Are you more concerned about what other people think of you when you live and the way you talk and the, the way you dress? and things? Are you more concerned about what people think about you or about what God thinks about you? When you stand up and sing in this place on Sundays, are you more concerned about what the person next to you is hearing or are you more concerned about God smiling down and enjoying your praises? Which are you more concerned about? Are you more concerned about the way you act out in public because it's going to make other people happy? Or are you more concerned about the way God wants you to act in your workplace, in your home? Are you more concerned about others or about God? You see, when you watch the earth circle the sun, if you think about it, it's really a strange thing if you don't know anything about the forces of gravity. Right? It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It's just like a big, heavy ball moving around a bunch of gas. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. There's no strings attached. It's just like magic. It's just weird. But only to those who don't understand the power that's involved, right? The forces that are involved. You see, God's love is the most powerful force, the most powerful. And no matter what you've done or where you've been or how you failed, he loves you. He wants to fill you up so much so that you're never lacking in anything. And when this happens, when he does and you find your approval in him, it's, it's hard to explain, but the only thing I can think of, it's like having just a, a huge pile of money. I mean, just 
tons and tons of money, just a big pile of it. And when people give you their approval or like you're trying to please people and like they are, you know, saying good job, it's like they flick a quarter on the pile, right? It's like a nice gesture. It's great. You know, thanks a lot. But it just doesn't really affect you because you have so much. Or you flip that around when you're being criticized, it's like being shot at from behind a bulletproof glass, right? You see the bullets coming at you or whizzing right by you, but they never infect you on the in- never affect you on the inside, right? Because there's protection. See, God defines you, not others. His definition of you, his opinion of you trumps everyone else's. Does that define you today? Do you find your definition, your identity as daughters and sons of God, like we just sang? Do you feel that you are his son, you are his daughter, you are created for his pleasure? I mean, how crazy is that? And when we acknowledge God's love for us and accept all that his son did for us on the cross, we will be moved and driven by that love. And that will be our defining force. That will be how we live and why we live. And I want, and as I wrap up, I want to leave you with this one thought. This thought, as I've been thinking and praying over this message, has been messing with my mind all week to think about, let's, we can't please everyone, right? Like, we've tried to please everyone, and we can't. And you would think we could, because humans are finite beings. It should be pretty easy to make them happy, right? But we can't. But we can please God, the creator of the universe, who knows all things, is all things, is the most powerful, the all-knowing being, can be pleased by us. I mean, you, it just doesn't make sense. You would think he could never be made happy. He could never be pleased. There's nothing good that we could do to make him happy. You know, you think he would be like, oh, you didn't cut somebody off in traffic? That's great. I created the world, right? Like, I mean, what could you ever do to be like, hey, look what I did? You know, like, it just doesn't make any sense. But he loves us. He cares for us, and we please him when we live approved by him and him alone. When we find our identity and our definition and our security and our purpose and our fulfillment in him, we please him. You see, when we seek others' approval, we become their slaves. We, we are slaves and we are in bondage. But like we just sang, my chains are gone. I've been set free. Because when we seek God's approval, we get it. Let me pray for us. God, I'm just so humbled. The fact that that I can do anything, that we can do anything that, that makes you happy, that makes you pleased with us, just blows my mind. God, we're just so grateful for the sacrifice your son made so that we could be in that relationship with you, so that we could make you happy, so that you could give us fulfillment and purpose. God, I pray that as we leave this place, that we will not seek our approval in people, in whatever else. That we will find our approval in you, and that we will live in response to that approval. That we make you happy. And God, I pray in each and everything we do, that we say all our actions, whatever they are, God, that they lift you up. So God, I pray for each and every person here, that you are now even stirring on their hearts, that they will feel your presence. God, to know that 
we can be approved by you, that we can live in that, and that everything we do, we can do it to glorify your name, which is our purpose anyway. God, we thank you for your love. We celebrate that. It's in your name we pray. Amen.